Welcome to the Set Yourself Free podcast, real stories from ending emotional abuse and trauma and taking back your life. I'm your host, Carrie Veach, owner of Set Yourself Free. I'm a life and success coach that believes we all have limitless potential within ourselves if we have the right tools and support. Trauma or past hurt might be a part of your story, but it doesn't have to be the whole story. We all have different versions of what freedom means, and I'm here to help you uncover your perfect version of how to set yourself free. Join us for season one, where we follow five extremely brave women through their journey of setting themselves free. Through their stories, you will know that you are not alone that it does get better on the other side and learn practical ways that you too can set yourself free. Let's dive in. What was the most difficult place for you on this journey? Renee? Yeah, that was, that was hard because I think at almost every other time I felt like I had something else to define me. I had something else to kind of hold on to. I had something else to distract me, whether it was a friendship, a relationship, a job, an activity, a goal, anything. Um, but at this point, and even healing, even um, you know, after the rape and going to to therapy, um, you know, that was kind of like my concentration. Like that was that's what I was so focused on. Um, and it was a good thing, but it was also something I was focused on too. So I just had nothing. I had nothing. (laughs) I felt like I had nothing to kind of hold onto, to grip onto and to like focus on. Um, And it was, it was just me. I was, I felt like I was stripped bare and it was, there was, it was, it was just, yeah, (laughs) I would say it was the most difficult place to just, just hold on in that like pitch dark season of, what felt like nothingness, just just holding on. Um, yeah, that was probably one of the most challenging places. Well, I just want to acknowledge how much strength that takes because I think those are the moments that suck, are horrible when we do want to give up. And so many natural inclinations are to go to victimhood. Mm-hmm but you found the strength, the sliver of strength to know there was something better and to know that you could do the work to get there. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I'm I'm sure at some points I slipped into victimhood, but I think, I think that because I was, um, a, cause I had, I was in therapy, um, and I was dealing with, you know, the stuff that I, all of the abuse and trauma that I'd never dealt with, it was all so brand new. Um, part of me felt like, okay, I can, not I can, but like, this isn't going to be forever. Like some part of me was like, okay, I'm going through this and this is today. And even though it feels like I'm going to die and that's just this whole weight of everything of every single emotion I've ever felt is, is upon me and I have no support system and I have nowhere to turn. Or so I felt like at the time, um, yeah, I had to try to hold on to that sliver of strength. And you did. Yeah. (laughs) 
just look even like just thinking about it I just feel like my life is so different now so just even thinking about it I'm like wow it was I can still just remember myself in that time and I'm like wow I just I really just have so much love and compassion Mm. for my past self and I'm I just like really honor her for holding on and you know having somewhat of a vision um for what could be yeah that's so beautiful Thank you. (laughs) It is because I think too many people can jump into the, maybe they've worked through or moved on, so to speak, but they're mad at their past self. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sometimes that does come up for me. I'm like, man, now that I'm like walking in purpose and I have so many things I want to do, I'm like, man, why wasn't I doing this in, you know, when I was like 22? And then I realized, you know what? <laughs> I was fighting for my life and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just give myself that grace. And I'm like, you know, that girl was doing the best that she, she really was doing the absolute best that she could do. And I honor her and I love her. And, you know, she's helped me be who I am today. So I just give her compassion because she needs it. <laughs> D. I think the most difficult place for me on this journey was that all the back and forth in my mind, like, do I leave? Do I stay? I knew I should go, but I stayed for the kids. Um, and the kids really, I get so emotional when I, when I talk about my kids. <laughs> so forgive me. But it was always about the kids and what was best for them. And I stayed for a really long time, even though I knew I probably shouldn't have. Like, I remember going in two years prior to everything when everything fell apart and wanting a divorce. I went into a therapist and said, I want a divorce. And she like kind of talked me down and talked me out of it. Um, and which now hindsight, I see why, because, you know, um, everything happens for a reason. And when it did happen, I was in a better financial position and, and all that stuff to be able, and the kids were older. So it was a little bit easier for me to deal with. But um, yeah, it was, I think that's, that was the hardest part was just feeling so bad about myself and mm-hmm. feeling like I was crazy. Like I went to so many doctors trying to figure out what was wrong with me and, you know, came up with nothing, came up with nothing was wrong with me. Um, And then like just thinking about my kids and, you know, how they would feel if I wasn't with their dad and I came from a broken family. So I always had the vision of if I get married, I'm getting married once and that's it. So I think the, the hardest part was, was my kids and how they would deal with everything. And then also like going back and forth all the time with how crazy I was or how crazy I thought I was. Yeah. And I think that's such a common theme. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with narcissism, you know, they gaslight you, which they, they literally make you think you are crazy. I remember times where he would say, I remember when everything went down and his girlfriend drove down the street and I was like, I just saw your girlfriend drive down the street. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, that wasn't her. Like, you know, and I knew it was her, you know, and they just do that to you and every, everything. Like he would just say like, no, you didn't see that right. Or that wasn't like that. Or you're remembering that wrong. And I like, yeah, I thought I was crazy. I thought I was losing my mind. Yeah. That constant justifying or gaslighting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
and it's so common to narcissists. And, and the thing is, is that I dealt with that for nine years and I never even knew. I just thought it was me. It was always just me. There's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. But come to find out there's, you know, and obviously I take accountability for some of our marriage, you know, but it wasn't just me. And it made, it, you know, he made me feel like it was. Right. And I think that's another, well, it is another common theme that I see with so many mothers is the need to feel like they have to stay because of their kids. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I stayed through some really rough times um, just because I didn't want my kids to grow up in the broken family because I knew what that was like. My parents, you know, they didn't talk. So I always had to choose between the two. So, you know. And my dad was out of my life for like nine years. So I didn't want that for him, for them. And I I didn't know what he would do because if he didn't have the empathy, I didn't know if he would be in their lives. So sticking with him, at least like let him be in their lives for the time being, you know? So yeah, mothers will stay because we think we're doing the right things for our kids. But in reality, like they know. And, you know, I deal with energy now, so they can feel the energy. So staying with the kids is not always the right answer. And I feel for the women that, you know, are financially stuck that have to stay because of finances and everything. So I always advise to like try to just start saving and make a plan to to get out. But it's not worth the way that you make you feel. And then I, I look at my daughter now and I can see like how much of an impact he's already had on her. And I can see the manipulation now that he does with her. And it, you know, I, I, I'm just glad that she only sees him a little bit rather than every single day. So. Right. And the yeah. powerful lessons you can teach now that you've found your sense of self, you have the separation and what she yeah. gets to learn. Yeah. She always says, mommy, you teach me to love myself. And like, it makes me want to cry, you know? And I ask her, do you love yourself? And she's like, yes. And I was like, awesome. Because, you know, everything that I didn't learn as a child is what I try to teach her and my son too. Um, But, you know, being a female and stuff, and she's a lot like me when I was a child. So I want to make sure that I can use everything that I know and learn to help her be confident and empowered woman. Which is so important. Yeah. Honestly, I think that's one of the most important skills that we can teach kids. Absolutely. I I always say like, why isn't this taught in school? Like, I don't understand it. You know, like this is like one of the things that especially women like need to know that we're, I mean, every kid actually needs to know that they're loved, even no matter what they went through as a child. Absolutely. Yeah. And I find, I just said this to someone the other day where I find like, I'm working with a lot of women right now in a group program that I have and, you know, everything that they went through as a child, like before seven years old, like every single thing that they went through has still stuck with them 30, 40, 50 years later. It's like somebody needs to get to these kids sooner than 30, 40, 50 years old. Yes. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So do you have anything else you want to share about the difficulty, anything in the mix of the huge struggles? 
um, just know that it's better on the other side, Mm. you know, and, you know, it doesn't have to take a lot of time. I mean, this was only two and a half years ago for me and I've been pretty good for about a year. So like a year and a half after everything, I was pretty good and felt good about myself and confident about myself and healed myself. And, you know, it's always a journey. We always have more to heal, but you know, I would never go back ever, Mm. ever. Mm. (laughs) So, you know, that tells you something because it's just, you deserve so much more. You deserve so much more than feeling crappy about yourself or not loving yourself. Like we already have issues with not loving ourselves. We don't need another human being to go on top of that and, and help us not love ourselves even more. So it's better on the other side. (laughs) Mm, I love that. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. If you have anything else you want to add on this episode. I think we're good for this episode. Um, yeah, just awareness is key. So you just got to watch the behaviors of the people you're with, the men you're with or the whoever, but, um, you got to watch the behaviors and not what they say because narcissists will say a lot of things and promise you a lot of things but their behaviors don't match up. So you really have to be aware of their behaviors. Um, and it's okay to let go. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't mean, mean that you failed. It means that you now recognize what you're in and it's not your fault that you're in it. Raw. Like even now when I talk to people who I worked with at the time, I in how I was being, mm. like, I was not being me at all. And it literally affected, it, it affected everything. Mm. Yeah. My performance at work, my relationships at work, my relationships with my friends when I did see my friends, which I didn't really do. Um, yeah, like everything. Because mm, it sounds like you were extremely isolated from your friends at this point. Yeah, yeah. Like we would see people, but it would be him and I together mm. seeing the people that he really wanted to see. And then if I did see a friend and I suggested for him to go and see some of his friends, he wouldn't, like, he'd stay at home and he'd be like, oh, I'll just stay at home by myself until you get home, kind of in a tone of voice to try and make me almost feel a little bit guilty about it. Mm. Um, yeah. Or, like, even with friends, like, oh, I'm, like, shaking my head when I think about it, but... um you know, there were some friends that he trusted me to be around, but there were also friends where, like, I recall him saying to me, oh, that friend doesn't care about you because this is how they behave and you shouldn't be friends with them. And so, like, I ended up stopping and seeing some of those friends as a result. Um. Yeah, 
So I was very much like I, I, I listened to everything that he said to me. Mm. So did you feel like he was your compass essentially of navigating life? Yeah, really. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then, you know, in terms of like what I'm currently doing, like coaching and helping other people has been something that has been so important to me and something I'd wanted to do for so long. And I was on that path of doing that prior to meeting him. And then during our relationship, I was told, how are you supposed to help people when you can't even help yourself? Mm. So all like the things that I wanted to do, he would play on mm, what, like he would, he would tell me I couldn't do it. Mm. Mm. Which is, so hard when you're in it to have a different perspective. Yeah. Well, because like the perspectives that I had was really his perspective. I had one yeah. and it was one telling me that essentially like I'm a bad person, like, you know, that I need to change all of these things about myself and that I can't do the things that I want to do. And so when you're constantly hearing that over and over and over and over and over again, it essentially becomes your reality because you're hearing it over and over and over again. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I think that's so important for people to hear. And then the work is to not shame yourself in those moments when you do believe those things. Mm. you know because I think then we get caught in these cycles of beating ourselves up for being in that place Mm -hmm. yeah and like I definitely did that like I went through that of being like like how did I get here like you know like blaming myself for it Mm -hmm. um yeah I went through that went through that cycle um, but I'm grateful to no longer be in that cycle. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of, yeah, definitely something that I went through. Mm-hmm. Mm. Of course. I think that's yeah. the human experience. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to share around the difficulty or what you recall looking back in those difficult moments? Yeah, I think the, actually like when I reflect on it, like I was saying the difficulty was like my, like how I saw myself, but I think the, the difficulty in those moments was the isolation. Mm. and constantly feeling like I was alone Mm. 
because I didn't really have those relationships with my friends or even my family or I couldn't talk to him about how I was feeling and so I felt so alone and even in the moments whereby I did try and talk to some of my friends about what I was going through you know I definitely remember him saying to me multiple times like this is between you and I like this is not something that you need to talk to anyone else about like we will sort this out so like this stays between us Mm. he didn't want me to talk to anyone about it of course and that's the whole reason I'm having this podcast, wanting to help women to understand that they're not alone. Mm. And the message really around shame is that we believe we have to keep our secrets. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, well, that was it. Like I was like holding on to so much, you know, like I was suppressing all my emotions, which is how depression happens, right? Yeah. Um, so suppressing all my emotions and I felt so alone and like I was constantly going through the cycle of like crying and being upset and you say kind of feeling shameful around like why is this relationship not working out or like how can how can it change or um, you know I've when I did talk to my friends about what was going on I then felt guilty because I had betrayed his trust and had spoken to someone about how I was feeling mm. and then I would go and tell him about it mm. and he wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be happy about it so there was like it's just constant like every, I felt like everything that I did was wrong like everything I never felt like I could do anything right in my, just everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I then, like, I, I've, I couldn't trust myself and how I thought, which is definitely a huge hard part about it and one of being has been one of the most difficult things to regain is that trust in myself in what I think yep mm. well especially when the voice has been so loud in your ear to say otherwise mm. yeah but that voice in my ear was essentially echoing the things that I'd already been thinking or that I'd thought, you know? Mm -hmm. So like there were things that I had thought and that I had believed, like parts of me believed those negative thoughts, you know, Mm -hmm. they were my insecurities. Sure. Yeah. But then the things that he was saying were my insecurities constantly over and over again so that part came out 
and the parts of me that believed in myself, they disappeared or mm. they were extremely diminished. And so the parts that were loud were the parts that didn't believe in me. And they could literally is like that whole like, I was going to say like not quite the yin and the yang, but, <laughs> um, you know, when I first started on this journey, I was moving towards more of a, you know, that light side of me, the part of me that knows that I can do everything that really believed in myself. And then what came out was the dark part of me, which like was, yeah, so negative. Really. And yeah. And then the work becomes integrating and holding space for both and right. That mm-hmm. we can be both dark and light and coexist. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we can be. Like that's the yin and the yin and the yang of it all. But then it's like, you know, looking at it and like how much darkness and how much lightness there is. Mm-hmm. Really. Yeah. Because it was interesting, like I had in the relationship, I had never been an angry person ever. Mm. And um I knew that I that there was something wrong and you you said like how did you know when things were going wrong? Like there were multiple things, but I knew there was something wrong when I literally punched the wall in the garage because I was so angry about not being heard. Mm. Like and frustrated and upset and I constantly felt like I needed to scream. And like there was so much anger in me from how we were interacting or, you know, the things that he was saying to me and our, I say conversations, but arguments or like yelling and screaming at each other that's how we interacted at one period of our relationship um yeah I was like whoa like who is this person Mm. (laughs) like Aaron you know like the things that I even said to him like I was like calling him if I'm allowed to say this like an asshole and a cunt and I was like wow like like these are some really really harsh words and they came out because that's how I believed that he was in those moments anyway. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that's when you were able to take a look at yourself and say, this is not who I want to be or who I am. A hundred percent. Yeah. Cause like I was like, this is not me at all. Like I am not this person. And I'm like, I can understand how anger can happen, but then it's like how you react from it, right? Mm-hmm. And how I was reacting when it came to my anger, it it wasn't at all good. Like I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and so, yeah, I went and saw a therapist about my anger which really like that's the behavior as opposed to the cause. Um, But yeah, that was me reflecting on myself. And that was when I was like, okay, 
Like I really need to look at something and change something because I don't want this. Like I don't want to feel like this and I don't want to act in this way because this is not a nice behavior at all. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And you took responsibility for doing that. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Like I could acknowledge it and I was like, this is not okay. And I was like, I'm going to take responsibility for this. Like what can you change it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think think that's been the thing that I know that I've done mm-hmm. throughout the like all that I know that I did throughout the entire relationship is that I did take responsibility. Um, perhaps not in the beginning. So, like what I did learn that I wasn't very good about. Vera wasn't very good at being honest with people or saying difficult things because I was scared of hurting that person. Mm -hmm. So that was also, you know, like, but then again, I took responsibility for that and I changed my behavior. Mm -hmm. And so I can hand on heart say that I did take responsibility for all of my shitty behaviors and I changed them. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I think the thing that's sad about it is that it was a one-way thing. Sure. Mm. And yet so empowering for women to hear that you were able to find the strength to do that. Yeah. 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 Well, because for me, I was like, yes, I'm going through all of this and this is really difficult, but I'm like, I also know that like, I don't want this. And I also know that because I don't want this, I need to take responsibility for what I can change. Mm. And what I can change is me in how I see things and how I choose to react and what I do. And so it was like, okay, like this is what's happening. Like how can I change this? What can I do differently? And I did that with me, but what I didn't see (laughs) was that a lot of it was also my environment. Yeah. That's what I didn't see. Well, it's hard to see when you're in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't see it when I was <laughs> in it. So I'm like, yep. And unless you know, like, unless you know someone who has been through it or have heard of it, like, there is, for me, like, there was no frame of reference of me being able to relate it to anything else because like you know I've heard of like you know physical abuse sexual abuse everything like that but didn't know what emotional abuse was nor I think the most difficult place again was um it's multifaceted so it's one accepting who I am and my identity for who I am without my father. 
You know, I come from a broken family, but my mother was an immigrant. She worked her ass off to provide for us. So I'm very appreciative of that. Um, But it was a single family home. So like, you know, all the problems that come with a single parent with four kids living in America and hardly speaking English, it came with all of that, you know, and the shame that surrounded that. Um, And then the second thing is like recognizing my value. Like I am worthy regardless of whether he left me or not. You know, um, and that's something that is constantly brought to the surface um, that I constantly work on. Like, it's definitely a much better mindset now than it was way back in the day. If someone would say something, I would definitely personalize it and say like, oh my God, what did I do? Let me engage in people pleasing behaviors, you know, so that they can stay with me. And like, that was not healthy. Um, And I basically, you know, took care of other people. Um, and please them. And I never thought about myself. I didn't even know what self-compassion or like self-love was when I was young, you know? And so recognizing those things now as an adult, I'm like, oh my God, if I only knew what I knew back then, you know, (laughs) it would be so much easier. Um, So there was that. And then being on medication for a little while, you know, um, when my therapist was like, you have depression, um, you know, and you have body dysmorphia, like we need to work on those things. You may need to, you may need to take some medication. And so my, again, my family did not know until like the last minute, um, that I was having like anxiety attacks and I would hide them and I would hide my like, you know, bulimia and like all this other stuff. So like all those things were so challenging to hide in a culture where in the past culture, and there's a lot of stigma in it, just as in any culture, I suppose, the the idea of going to a therapist, you know, and sharing your feelings and being vulnerable, like you're talking about family secrets here, you know, and that's not okay, you know. So dealing with that, I think, and feeling guilty about it, but recognizing that something needs to change and I need to take care of myself in some manner, shape or form. And so therapy was it for me. And so the therapeutic healing process was really rough. There would be times when I just like left crying, um, you know, where times I wanted to throw the pillow at my therapist, you know, and times where I just left and I was like, that felt really good. I feel like I accomplished something today. Like I overcame something or we had a breakthrough, you know, and what I've noticed, it's always the little things that happen, the little changes. It's not like the there's these big aha moments. It's always like the small aha moments that, you know, unify this bigger aha moment um, that leads up to them anyway. So like I had a little, I had a lot of little aha moments that made me realize like, okay, like I'm worthy, I'm valuable. I have something to give to the world. And like, those things are so important, you know? Absolutely. And I love that you bring it back to that because that's the work for so many of us, right? Yeah. To fully understand and believe, not every minute of every day, but to know that we're worthy because we are. Yeah. 
It's, it's a basic core, right. You know, and my dad took that from me. Um, and I had to gain it back. And it was not because of him or anyone else that I gained it. It was because I did the work I put in the effort and I'm, you know, my therapist was definitely a really great support system. You know, my friends who did know they were really good, you know, so there were people that were, I surrounded myself with like good support systems, you know, and that I think was helpful because like when you get out of sessions or when you have like on Father's Day, like you're playing tennis and you see a dad playing tennis with his little son. You, I literally wanted to go over and be like, you're such a good dad. You have no idea like how much your son is going to cherish these moments, you know? And I just, I contained myself and I told my friend, I was like, I need to leave because like, this is too triggering. And so like I left, you know? Um, but so those are those moments. And then, you know, I did my, I did my inner work and I journaled and I was okay. But it was in that moment that got me so emotional. Like, I didn't get that. That's not fair, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like those moments pop up. But again, I have to say to myself, like, even if I didn't have those moments because my dad couldn't provide for me, does not mean that I don't have all these other experiences that aren't valuable and just as rich and colorful and can take up that space in my heart that he could not provide. It may not be the same thing, but it's just as good enough. Mm, I love that reframing, right? That's what it's all about. Absolutely. Because I think it's so critical for people to understand it's not always about having positive thoughts all of the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. figuring out how to reframe or to say, Hey, I need to leave right now. Yeah. I mean, I think we have between like 60 to 90,000 thoughts per day, depending on what researcher you look at. And like for, they say for like, one negative thought, you have to have at least between three to six positive thoughts to replace that impact of one negative thought. And that's insane to me. I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, and so that's where I bring in the gratitude for myself and say, I may not have positive thoughts, but what can I be grateful about in this moment that can help me counterbalance what I'm feeling? And so like that usually helps me get out of my funk. Yes, I agree. I think it's such a powerful practice. Yeah, totally. And like I teach it all to my clients and then I tell them all about like the science behind it and the studies and like how I was a pessimist and now I'm not. Yes, <laughs> so I it's love like that. To personalize it and humanize it because we're all humans, you know? And like, I think it's important that like we preach what we we teach what we preach, I think yep. is the English idiom. So bad at them. Um, but like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like, so, um, but yeah, so I think that's really important um, that you teach clients, not just the skills that you have, but like skills that you've learned and humanize the connection between you and the client. Like there's obviously clear boundaries, but let them know, like, I don't share all this personal stuff with them all the time, unless it's like necessary, but I can say like, yes, I've come from a broken family home. I know what that feels like, you know, like, 
and then turn it back onto the client because it's not about me in that moment. It's about them. And then if for any reason it turns into me and my thoughts are like that, I get supervision for it, you know, because I don't want that impacting my therapy or my coaching at all. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. I agree. I think we all want to connect and we want to know we're not alone. Yeah, definitely. Um, And that's where like the shame aspect comes in for me. Like I thought for the longest time that my friends whose parents were, you know, together actually had a lot of marital problems. And I didn't know that because they all look so picture perfect, you know, to me. And I felt like I couldn't really share that growing up because it seemed just like everyone was together and come to find out like they weren't doing so well. And it was just appearance wise. And like, I think if I had known that, that I would have not felt so alone and that the shame would not have like eaten me up as much because it was, it just kept, I just remember it telling me like, no one's going to understand what you're going through. No one wants to hear about your burden. Like you're not worthy of it. You're not lovable. No one's going to appreciate it. Like, and all of those like distortions that you would have. And so you know, to be shame is to feel like we're connected to one another um, and in our humanity in an essence. So, yeah. Absolutely. And understanding shame only grows in secret. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it, it loves thriving in that aspect. Yeah. Sure. Nikki. So I mentioned before that being treated in an unacceptable way in front of my children was the hardest part along with, and this involves our kids too. After I told my ex-husband that I wanted a divorce and then actually it was after I filed for divorce. So Mm -hmm. it was when I took action, unilateral action Mm -hmm. to say, we're getting a divorce and you don't have a choice. Mm. Um, My ex-husband was 3,000% against divorce. And so our divorce process was high conflict and involved litigation. And in the period of time between my filing for divorce And our becoming divorced, the hardest, the hardest thing for me to go through was to see the results of actions that he took and things that he said to our children that had the effect, and I believe the intended effect of alienating them from me. And painting me as a bad mother. He told our children that I had left our our family, that I had divorced him and that I had left him and them. And I could give a bunch more examples of alienating behaviors that I witnessed firsthand because we continued to live together for a few months after I filed for divorce 
and before I was able to move out. And so there were ways that he was making it very, very obvious to the kids that he was super mad at mommy and mommy was doing really something really bad. And after we separated, after I moved out, there were moments when my son would come to me. So my daughter was still, she was pre-verbal. She wasn't even talking the first time when I, when I moved out. But my son was definitely verbal by this time. He was three years old, four years old. And he would come to me and he would say things like, mommy, daddy said, you're a liar. Is that true? Or he'd come and he'd say, mommy, daddy says that you don't make any money. Is that true? Mm -hmm. And I started having some problems with my son who had been my absolute total best buddy since before he was even born. And I've never experienced something worse than that in my life. Something worse than the fear that I was losing my cherished, sacred, close relationship with my own son. Mm. Did you did you feel like you had a sense of yourself during that time? Or did you not even have that perspective then to understand like who you were or how you could navigate this? Was it just so focused on taking care of your son and figuring out how to, you know, repair that relationship? Not that you had done anything wrong in terms of repair, but you know what I mean? As he's trying to plant these comments that are coming back to you that then you're having to navigate through. So when you say sense of myself, I'm not really sure what you mean um, in terms of, are, are you saying, did I know, did I have the perspective to know that it was completely baloney? Yeah. Yes, I did. I had the perspective to know that it was completely baloney. I knew that I was a fantastic mother. I know now that I'm a fantastic mother. And it wasn't that I didn't question myself. I have a tendency to question myself. I'm very introspective. And so I don't think of myself, never have thought of myself as being the perfect mother. But I knew that I was a really good mom. And I knew that what my ex-husband was doing was abusive Mm. to our children and to me. Mm -hmm. Parental alienation is a form of child abuse. And I started doing research into this. And so I knew that it was wrong, but I also studied it. Mm. And as a result of studying it, was able to be completely affirmed in what I already knew as a mom, as a person. So I became completely, completely committed and was on a mission in a way where I was more motivated than I've ever been in my life to counter the effects of these alienating behaviors. Mm. I had like a 10 prong strategy. Yeah. And I won't outline the whole thing, but suffice it to say, my son and I 
became the best of buddies again. And it's, it's all good. Mm, I love that. But I think it's so beautiful in that. And then, you know, me asking you that question and you answering that you didn't lose your sense of self because I think so many, and not that it's bad or wrong if someone does, because I think that's the natural place, right? Especially when you're being verbally attacked, when your character's being questioned by the person that's supposed to love you the most. I, I, I just think that's so powerful that you found that strength and held on to who you are and who you were. Well, thank you for that. And don't get me wrong. I, my greatest fear is losing myself. And I came very close to losing myself in the context of my marriage, particularly in those last three years or so. And by that time, I was holding on to my sense of self with like a thread. So my self-esteem had taken a huge, huge hit. My trust in myself Mm. had taken a huge, huge hit. And being in a verbally and emotionally toxic relationship does that to you. Just kind of by definition. (laughs) Yeah, it, it does that to you. The confusion that we were talking about, the disorientation, the, wait a minute, I'm a good person and I think he thinks I'm a good person too, or at least he says that, but he's also saying these really, really hurtful, damaging, mean things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So... I had a I had a mama bear instinct that I mean I I think I think being a mother was so central to what ultimately led me to exit my marriage. Mm. I mean when you have children when you have children instinct just kicks in and i had this i had this again i keep saying instinct but that's what it was it wasn't even really this like um super super developed notion of myself um although i've had a really overall positive and sacred relationship with myself for my entire life which is one of the reasons i got through this probably the reason i got through this you know the reason that i left the reason why I really truly had to leave was because I did have, I I did and I do have a a lifelong foundation of having a positive self image and of having a really positive relationship with myself and knowing that I'm a good person. And that was really compromised in a very, very big way within my marriage. And so what I'm saying is that I wasn't any hero of self-actualization and self-esteem and self-value at this moment in time, but I was headed back toward having that and mama bear took over and thank Mm. goodness for that. Yes. Well, and I think that's such an important point too. It's hanging on to that one little thread, right? That's all you need sometimes. And that's okay. And that's enough. 
Yep. Yep. Just the thread as well as, as well as some support, some huge major support that I was getting from what I call pillars in my life at that time. There were some people in my life who were my pillars who held me up. I did not do it alone. I don't recommend anybody do it alone. And none of us do, right? On any level. (laughs) Even if we think we do, we certainly don't. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I had some major help along the way in addition to that thread, which indeed was enough. Mm. And there were times when I didn't know if I was going to get through it. Mm. Oh my goodness. I hope you liked this episode and got as much out of it as I did. These women are courageous and vulnerable and strong. They are so willing to give you a picture behind the curtain of what a real and honest look it is to look back and admit the most difficult places that they have been on in this journey of setting themselves free. I hope that you find inspiration. And I also hope that in their collective stories that you can find the strength to know that you are not alone, that all of us struggle. We all have difficult places in our journey. And even with the difficulty, that it's not going to break us. It's not going to knock us out for the count. That even if you only have a tiny bit of hope and you only have a thread of strength to hold on to, that that's enough. And so I hope that in their vulnerability, in their sharing where they've been and the challenges that they have faced, that you too can find the courage within yourself to take a really raw and honest look at where you are and are you where you want to be? Are you in the relationship you want to be in? Are you making the income you want to make in your life? Do you have the support in your life that you want and that you need? Are you thriving in your journey? And if you're not, that's okay too. But to get really, really damn honest with yourself, because that's where it starts. No one can do the work for you. Plenty of people can support you. I love supporting clients in this journey of helping them find the strength within themselves of mirroring back to them how freaking unbelievable they are. Because I know that we all have magic within ourselves. And sometimes we just need an outside perspective to mirror that to us and to show us the places that we're missing out on or we're not giving enough credit to ourselves for. So these women are strong, they're brave, and so are you. So I hope you find yourself in their stories that you are as hooked on knowing what comes next as I am, because I can't wait to keep bringing you along on this journey. So thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Set Yourself Free podcast. I'm so grateful you are here supporting me and these incredibly brave guests. If you could do me a favor and take one minute to share this episode with someone that needs to hear it, I would be so grateful. And if you are willing, please leave us a review. Each month, I will be choosing a reviewer to give a free session to as a thank you for listening to this podcast. One thing I know for certain is that shame can only grow in secret. I'm more encouraged than you could possibly know by those that are willing to speak up and help all of us know that we are not alone. So don't forget, head on over to my website at setyourselffreellc.com, grab your free journal, and you can also book a free call with me to see if we are a great fit in supporting your journey to setting yourself free. Thanks again, and we will see you next week.